So I'm constantly helping people who work for me explore other options because it does one of two things. If they've already got Wonderless want to leave, well, great. I'm going to get somebody who wants to work here. No hard feelings. Good luck. And I'll help you and facilitate the, the transition, et cetera. But if you go and explore elsewhere and realize how great it is here, you're reinvested and you're the person I wanted in the first place. This is the Church Security Made Simple podcast, giving leaders practical solutions to help make your community safer. I'm your host, Simon Osmo, and I'm on a mission to keep his churches safe. Now, it's been over 10 years since the Lord called me into security ministry, and as a national church safety practitioner supporting churches across the country, I'll share my expertise to give you simple solutions to keep your church safe. So if you're ready to make your church security simple, come join me and let's dive into this week's episode as we learn how to plan, prepare and protect our ministries. Well, Dan, I'm really excited to have you back on the podcast. So if people haven't listened to my first interview with Dan Cop, please go back to episode 20. But we're inviting Dan back for a second time. He's going to be taking us through some of his tenants from his book, The Power of Me Leadership. So Dan, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Simon. It's good to be here today. And you, were, you, you weren't the top podcast download, Dan, but you are in the top three consistently. So it really says to me that my lead, my listeners are hungry to learn about leadership. So really excited to have you back on. We're going to go through four of your tenants today. One is going to be a bit of a recap, right? Correct. We will recap one of the tenants I spoke about in episode 20. So let's start off a little bit then about who you are and what inspired you to write the book. So in case anyone's listening to this episode for the first time, we didn't see part one. Uh, just tell us a little bit about you know your background and your experience within leadership. Sure. After a stint in the U.S. Army where I was a military police officer, I went into public education and ultimately ended up being a high school principal and a superintendent of schools. And during that time, I did a lot of reflection and a lot of evaluating of leadership that I encountered on a daily basis. And I realized what works for one person doesn't work for another. And there's no magic way to be a good leader. Simon's got to lead in a a manner that's comfortable for Simon and Dan's got to lead in a manner that's comfortable for Dan. So that's the essence of the book. I started, I've been pushed towards writing a book for about the last 15 years for people in my network. And I always said, yeah, I don't know enough. I don't have anything. And I'm just a practitioner and I don't have a 10 step magic process or anything. And, And people told me that's what people want. So what I did was I wrote a book that's got nine leadership tenants in it. With the idea being, here's some ways these could, how they manifest themselves in my life and how you could maybe implement them in your life, but you've got to implement them in a manner that suits your position, your context, your values, who you are as a human being, all of that. Because again, Simon leads like Simon, Dan leads like Dan. But at the end of the day, we could still subscribe to the both, uh, or we can both subscribe to the same leadership tenants. Well, thanks, Dan. And again, if people haven't listened to part one, go back to episode 20, where you'll learn a little bit more about Dan and his background. Uh, but we're going to recap Dan 
leading like King Arthur. And as you said in the first episode, you didn't choose this one just because you're talking to a British American. So uh, we'll, we'll say that to the listeners. My accent has nothing to do with why Dan chose leading like King Arthur. But let's, let's, let's recap this one then, Dan. You are correct. I have led like King Arthur my entire adult life. And I have Excalibur tattooed on my back about... Uh, two feet tall. So it's there and it was, it's been there long before I'd met Simon. So leading like King Arthur, just a quick recap. Many people know the legend that is King Arthur, King Arthur, the the famed Knights of the round table. The concept therein is they met around a round table at which point King Arthur had easy access to his trusted advisors. So I encourage those other leaders in my life to lead like King Arthur. You need to embrace the voices of your trusted advisors. If you're the CEO, you've got directors, you've got vice presidents, whatever you have, you've got a nucleus of trusted advisors around you, embrace their voice. And you're going, a lot of benefits come from that. If you've got a collective decision to make, uh, it's obvious that sitting around a round table, you'll be able to get everybody's voice and your collective decision will be. If you've got a sole decision to make, you've got to make the decision, you've got the luxury of talking it through with others, their points of view may inform your decision and it'll make it better. As you engage others around the table, those others will learn from one another and learn from you just like you will learn from them. They will be more complete leaders. You will be more complete leader. So leading like King Arthur has benefits the organization, makes decisions better, grows leaders, you yourself will grow as a leader. So I challenge everybody to lead like King Arthur. Regrettably, I've yet to work in an environment where the conference room has been structured as such that a round table fit in it. But you got to do your darndest, even if you've got a square table or a rectangle table, lead like King Arthur. It's interesting you say that though, Dan, because I think in my time in corporate America, and maybe it's intentional, I don't know, but a lot of the conference desks are set up in a long rectangular way and I used to be a director of risk and compliance and I had a lot of interaction with the C-suite and you'd have to constantly either turn your head around or the leader wouldn't necessarily directly be speaking to you just because how the table is laid out. So uh, I've never really thought about that before. I do like the idea of that round table set. Everyone is facing each other and that's not what you often find within corporate America. And I'm sure in those larger churches that have conference suites as well. I'm fascinating. Never thought about it like that before. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, plus what comes with a rectangle table, there's a head of the table. And I'm not a head of the table type guy. I don't have to sit at the head of the table for people to know that I happen to be the one in charge. So it's too many people rely on things like sitting at the head of the table to reinforce their positional power. If you've got to do that, you should look within to sort of examine why you need a chair placement to reinforce your power. It shouldn't be necessary. So the the round table also facilitates that. And in my last, oh boy, in the last 12 years of hosting meetings that I can recall, I I was forced to sit at the head of the table once because I was the last one of the meeting that was the only chair open. So if I, I never sit at the head of the table and, and that's part of it as well. It's, I don't need to tell people I'm in charge. So if you are a church facilities manager listening to this or business administrator, go to your conference suite, throw out your rectangular uh, desk that you have and then put in, a, put in a round desk. I like it, Dad. So, so let's go into your first one then. So we've done the recap. Now we're going to go into Be Beyond Reproach. Was that the first one you want to talk about? Absolutely. So keep in mind, we're leading like King Arthur. Everything you do... As a leader, you've got to strive for being beyond reproach. 
So you've got to act in an, a moral and ethical manner at all times. And there's a, a really important reason for that. Not only is it the right thing to do, but the second you do something that people discover you had an ulterior motive or your ethics were questionable or morally it just wasn't proper, people are going to see that and remember it. Even if you're a 20-year veteran in an organization and you did it once 17 years ago, people aren't going to forget that. And every other decision you make, they're going to scrutinize wondering, is this ethical? Is it moral? Does he or she have some type of hidden agenda here that I'm not aware of? And if that happens, if you put yourself in that position, you are guilty and you've got explaining to do. And it is your problem to fix. Conversely, if you're beyond reproach all the time, you're always acting morally and ethically, and then you make a decision and people question you because people are still going to question you. It is their problem. It is their problem to solve. They're looking for something that's not there and they are accusing you of something that's not true. That's their problem. But if you've gone down the path of being unethical in the past and they question you, you're wrong. If you're always beyond reproach and they question you, you can explain your point of view. You can explain your decision. It does not make you wrong. If they're still digging, that is their issue to solve and it's not yours. So always strive for being beyond reproach. It'll minimize the Monday morning quarterbacking that goes on. You'll still get questions, but you can stand morally and ethically and you can stand there and say, this was the right decision for these reasons. And it's their problem if they have a problem with that. It's funny, Dan, every time we talk and go through these, what you say always resonates with me. And I can recall, I work for an organization and I think it's my second or third day when I start to work for them, my boss sort of sat me down and it was a really, it was a strange conversation, Dan. I wasn't too sure what he was driving towards. And I think he was feeling me out for a bit of trust. And then he then hit me with the question surrounding, did you bring any intellectual property from your old employer that might help us going forward? And when he, when he hit me with that question, everything that you just said really resonates with me because straight away, I was two or three days into my tenure with that organization and, and it broke down an element of trust and it, and it sort of raised some sort of unethical practices surrounding when the intellectual property is in my head, but by my leader really asking me, did you bring anything from your prior company that might help us? Uh, straight away, it, it chipped away as to what that leader was like. I only stayed at that company for, for two years because I did find, as you mentioned, you know, being beyond reproach, his actions chipped away my mindset of how ethical he really, really was. So, um, yeah, it's, it's always amazing me, Dan. Whenever we go through your tenants, they always, I've always got a story about my own leadership or being in and around leadership. Fascinating. Yeah, and that's the essence of the book. The, I didn't invent the concept of being beyond reproach. And how I do it and the actions I take and the decisions I make are going to look different than how you do it. But at the end of the day, we can both be beyond reproach. So my book is about introducing people to concepts to get them thinking, just like you did. You've heard the phrase, be beyond reproach before, but you hadn't really thought about it until we talked, talked this mm -hmm. through. And then once people hear those things and see the anecdotal stuff that I put in my book, they're really like, oh, this makes sense. And another thing that came up, I was thinking when you were talking is like, all right, so you're the leader and you've, you're the leader in your situation and you've encouraged your subordinate to sort of skirt the ethical issues. So as a leader, would you ever trust that subordinate on what they're saying to you? If you've 
set them up to be unethical. Why would you ever trust them to be 100% upfront with you? Yeah, that's just a, a bad situation, regardless of how you look at it. It is. And I think, you know, we can relate uh, or we should relate to your um, your tenants because at the same time we're thinking, well, I don't want to be that manager. So what do I need to be like? You know, how do I need to act around my subordinates? Uh, how do I need to act as being the senior leader that I am and know that I don't want to be that person? I don't want to fall into that trap, you know, because like I said, the intellectual property he's really asking for was in my head anyway. You know, what he, he could have phrased the question in a different way, but didn't cast aspersions surrounding how ethical he really was. Um, you know, it was, there's other ways you could have phrased the question surrounding, you know, can we use your knowledge that you have, Simon, to create this new policy, to create this new program, as opposed to really saying, what did you steal from your prior uh, employer that might help us, you know? And there's also an implied belief that I was even going to do that in the first place, you know? So I think it left everyone on the back foot. And as I said, I didn't stay at that organization very long. Um, surprise, surprise. Yeah, right. I, I'm glad that you were able to move on. And the second you go down that unethical path, everybody sees it and they're never going to forget. Yeah, absolutely. So the second one, Dan, I like this one as well, because I do this in my daily life, but also gut leadership. Tell us a little bit about, about tenant. So many people out there will tell you, you know, when you're leading, you can't listen. You've got to know the facts. And it, it does come down to your gut. So let's think about leading like King Arthur, where you've existed in an environment where you know your teammates' points of view. You've grown as a leader because you've grown based on their expertise that you may not have had. So you're growing your skill set in the background while you're leading like King Arthur. You're always acting beyond reproach. And all of a sudden you are faced with a, a decision that needs to be made. I know we talk safety a lot and that's a, a lot of your audience is worried about safety. Obviously, there are oftentimes decisions that need to be made right now. There's a safety issue. We need to, we need to make a decision. So you don't have the luxury of convening a meeting. Hey, team, we're going to meet at three, three o'clock this afternoon around the round table so we can discuss this. No, you've trained yourself to be a better leader because you know their points of view over the last several years have informed yours. Thus, you're better. You've grown. You're beyond reproach all the time. So when you make a gut decision, you're going to make the best decision you can. Might it not be a great decision in hindsight? Absolutely. We've all made decisions in emergency situation that hasn't always been ideal. But going into it, you trust what you've done in the past, the learning, the growth you've experienced as a leader. You're acting beyond reproach. You make the decision you think is right. People will have seen you be beyond reproach. They know you did it for ethical reasons, for moral reasons. You had no hidden agenda. Even if it wasn't the ideal outcome, they're not going to question you and your, your individualism and your, your ethics at the end of it. They might, might say, hey, it could have gone better this way. Well, probably, you're right. It could have been. But at the heat of the moment, I, I had my knowledge base and I was being beyond reproach and I did what I thought was right. That's the goal of trusting your gut. We all have it. We all, there's just something not right about this. Or the, and it, you trust your gut. So a 25-year-old hearing that is going to have a different reaction than a 55-year-old hearing that. Because as you grow as a human being, and that's no, the 25-year-old's not wrong, but as a 25-year-old progresses for the next 30 years to a 55-year-old, they're going to encounter more people, more points of view, have more experiences. All those things are going to make them a better decision maker come when they're 55. So trust all that stuff you've encountered. You've grown. You've learned from your teammates. You've acted beyond reproach. 
you can make decisions that are solid, ethical, and moral, even though they may not be the best, people won't question you, your morals and ethics on the back end. And that's the goal of trusting your gut. And I think for me, when I hear trusting my gut as well, I also do like a slash instinct, Dan, as well. I often talk about, you know, trusting your instincts, particularly in around safety and security. You know, what what is your gut telling your instincts as to how you need to respond in this in this situation? And a lot of my, you know, most of my audience are, are faith listeners. So I often say to them, our instincts are given to us by God. So you've got to trust, the, you've got to trust the communication as to what is God trying to communicate to you in this very moment. And, and that leadership decision is crucial because I wrote a note down as you were talking, Dan, and to not to decide is to decide. So by not trusting your gut and not making any decision, you're making a conscious decision not to make a decision. So right. you, you, you do have to, as a leader, you've got to act, whether it's your gut, your instinct, you, you, you've got to make a decision based on the information in front of you at the time, knowing later someone might say, well, you should have done this differently or there could have been a different outcome or had you considered this, you know, you've, you've got to make some type of decision and trusting your instinct and your gut is, a, is a, a key piece of that. No, I like that one. Right on. Yeah, it's huge because we all have it and it's easy to ignore it. And a lot of people tell you, don't, you know, don't don't get tricked by your gut. Well, it's not about being tricked. It's about using yeah. your base knowledge, being beyond reproach and making the best decision you can. So why do you think in your experience, Dan, why do most people tend to ignore their gut or their instinct? Man, if my instinct is telling me something, my gut is saying that this is a decision I need to make for the better of the organization. Well, why do they try and talk themselves out of it? You know, I, personally, I've experienced that because I've been in situations where every decision I've made, people above me have assumed that I was wrong or guilty of something or by default, because the decision came for me, it's wrong. So when you're in a situation like that, sometimes there's hesitation to take action because, you know, regardless of what I do, I'm, I'm wrong anyway. So why? Why do it? So I've seen people freeze up. I felt that it hasn't stopped me from making decisions, quite honestly, but I felt that internally. I actually worked for a guy, a guy 15 years ago and literally everything I did, he assumed it was the wrong answer from the get go, just because that was his way of asserting his dominance over me. Mm. And fast forward a year and he went, he saw the light. Uh, the writing on the wall and realized he had to leave. And I was promoted to his position because he was he, his only recourse with me was to try to show that I was wrong so that he could protect his position. It took him a year to realize it wasn't possible because I had a skill set that he didn't. He left. I took his position. Yeah, good. Right, right on, Dan. <laughs> and, and it sounds like the right decision was made there. And it's something I was thinking was, uh, you touched on this, you know, that your gut is also tied into your experience, right? As well, you mentioned that sort of 24-year-old is very different to someone who's 55 because your experience informs your gut and your instinct as to what to do. But, you know, you, you listen to two or three perspectives for maybe different leaders. As the senior leader, you've got to listen, take it all in, and you've got to make a decision. Here's my, here's my judgment. Here's my decision. Here's the direction we're going to go. So I think... When I look at my own journey being 44 and um, getting to a high level in corporate America, I think my, my instinct and my gut was also led by my experience. Absolutely. And a 25-year-old is not wrong for lack of experience, but they can do things to accelerate their growth over their contemporaries. For example, engage their, their supervisors, their managers, the next level of the organization and learn what they're doing. Talk to them. 
talk it through. My partner, Mike Jewick in leading like a Buffalo is phenomenal at this. He relatively young age. He became a superintendent of a school district because he, as a 20 something year old, he had the ability and the foresight to realize he didn't know everything and he had to go out and learn it. So he engaged me. We've worked together in several environments. I was his boss a couple of times and we worked together to bring his accelerate his growth as a 20 year old, 20 something, and then a 30 something. And he's accelerated past his peers because of his ability to embrace and learn from others. And let's go into the third one, Dan, which is actions speak louder than words. Tell us a bit about this tenant. That's huge. You've brought it up already. You said that phrase earlier in the interview, and then I've talked about it without using those words. For example, sitting at the head of the table. If you've got to sit at the head of the table to make sure people know you're in charge, you've got a problem. I've had people, my direct reports, as a, a C-suite executive, I've had people one level below me say things to me like, oh, don't you have to hate, don't you hate it when you have to remind people you're in charge? Ooh, if you've got to remind people you're in charge, you've got to look in the mirror to, to figure out what went wrong. Because if they're not aware of it 24-7, you've done something wrong. And if you have to tell them about it, you've got an issue. So an example I brought up in my book, I happened to see um, when I was leading a school district, I happened to... Uh, encounter our girls softball team, they lost the championship game at the state level. I wouldn't fault anybody for leaving that field, tears streaming. And this isn't because they're women. I've been in that situation when I was a high school athlete, tears streaming because you lost in a state semifinal, whatever. I've been there. I wouldn't fault anybody for leaving the field dejected and not wanting to celebrate the victors. That team stood on the diamond and cheered for the victors as they got their individual and state championship trophies. So that was huge. That spoke so much about their character and their deportment and how great people they are and what that coach set them up to be in greatness. Because high school athletics are not about winning. They're about becoming a winner. And that's what that coach created. He created a team of winners. And when those girls did that, their actions spoke volume because you could tell they were wired the right way. They were sad, tears streaming, but they were standing there clapping for the people, the team that just beat them. Yeah. Huge respect for that team. And there's there's a plethora of examples you can encounter where actions just speak for themselves. How many times do we see, whether it's movie stars, athletes, they do some type of promo event where, hey, I'm giving out, I'm working a, a soup kitchen and look at me and it's all on their socials, et cetera. Well, Great. Thank you for doing that. But it's the people we aren't seeing on their socials who are doing those same things that we need to emulate. And that's what actions speak louder than words. And honestly, it goes back to leading like King Arthur, being beyond reproach and your gut leadership. When your actions speak for themselves, people will have seen you lead like King Arthur where you've embraced your team. They will have seen you be beyond reproach for years. You make a gut reaction. It speaks for itself. So maintain your cool. You've got a heated situation going on. How often do people lose the issue just by screaming or raising their voice? You should never have to do that. And I talk to people all the time in regard, negative situations come up in work all the time, right? Where you've got to talk to somebody about something that's less than ideal. So it's very easy for that person to get to want to kill the messenger 
when you come at them and attack and you're raising your voice and using words that are disrespectful, et cetera. But when you approach them in a personal, professional manner and talk to them, they soon they will eventually realize what the issue is and they'll focus on the issue and not focus on you. And that's what it's all about. That's what's action speaking louder than words. There's a lot that goes into all these. It's not like you can tomorrow start and actually speak a lot of the words and fix everything in your organization based on just your actions. But tomorrow you might have a leadership team meeting and you can choose not to sit at the head of the table. You can have a discussion with someone that is about some behavior they've had that isn't necessarily the most ideal that you have to address because you have to, if you don't address it, you can know that, right? So you have to address it, but think about going to their place of employment, maybe their office as opposed to calling them on the carpet. Think of the power is when you walk into someone's office, you have a, a conversation with them, say, hey, what occurred the other day? Let's talk it through. You talk it through, you leave. They've focused on the message. They've been in a safe place because it's their office. And you simply went there to address it. They know what went wrong and they're focusing on it. I had an issue several years ago where one of my employees did something and it came back to me. I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to go address it. I, I went to the this person's area of employment. And I said, did you perhaps say X, Y, and Z? Yes, I did. And I'm wrong and I shouldn't have and it won't happen again. We're good. Let's make sure it doesn't. Have a good day. Peace out. So I could have said, hey, it's Tuesday at 11. Come to my office at 3.30 on Thursday. We need to talk. Well, he's that person would have gone through 48 hours worth of internal grief just because of that. And he would have come in and he wouldn't have listened to a word I said. But when my actions went there, I showed him respect. He understood immediately what was wrong. And he understood. And I worked with the guy for another four or five years. And there wasn't even anything close to being questionable coming from him ever again. And that's all it took. So. When you're the boss, you don't have to exert your authority. You don't have to be a bull in a china shop. You, you've got to treat people with respect. You don't have to raise your voice. You don't have to threaten. You don't have to manipulate situations so people know you're in charge. It should be obvious 24-7. If it's not, I can help, quite honestly. I'm a leadership consultant, I'm a leadership coach, I'm a leadership mentor, I'm a keynote speaker, organizational training. Hit me up, I can help you, I can help your organization, um, and I would love to do so. So that's action speak louder than words. I love that example, Dan. I was thinking to a time, my uh, former director when I worked in a corporate world, I got offered a, a position with another organization and he did everything to, to make me stay. And um, even down to one and only time, Dan, it was never happened again in my life, my listeners, where he gave me a post-it note, which was blank and said, write down how much money you need to stay. And I was a very brave young man at the time. And I said, it's not about the money. I, I need this new opportunity. And I think if all honest, I felt like I was really annoying him because I sort of tended my resignation and it was two or three days of negotiation. He was, he was doing everything to make me stay. And I thought, you know, we had a really strong relationship and I thought this relationship isn't going to end very well. And then he took a meeting invite on my calendar and said, you know, can you, can you meet for breakfast? And then me and him met for, for breakfast. We had a really good conversation. He just said, Simon, he said, I wish you well in your new opportunity. You know, let's stay in contact. Let's stay friends, you know, and, and whatever I can do to help you in your next role. 
please let me know and I'll be I'll be happy to do that. And it really showed me that everything that you said, but his actions spoke louder than words. I thought he was escalating to, he was going to swear at me or kick, drop, kick me out the door because I kept saying no. But he obviously realized that I wanted to leave the organization and go somewhere different. And his actions said to me, well, let's just meet. I'm going to wish you well. Um, good luck in your new adventure. And I've always remembered that when other people that have worked for me that have gone on to new opportunities, it's never well, they're leaving your organization or they're leaving me. It's they're going on to something new. They're going on to something better for them in their career. And it's really helped me understand when people do move organizations or do move departments, you've got to, you know, wave them, wave them off and say, good luck. And Dan, I, I wish you all the best in your career and not hold any resentment towards how they're leaving you you behind. So his actions uh, really spoke volumes to me. And it's something now that I try to emulate when, when I manage and, and lead people. That's a great example. And I've been, I'm known for helping those who work for me explore other opportunities to the point where I've had my teammates' jaws drop when I said, Hey, there's a job you might be interested in. And it's not about pushing people out. But Mm -hmm. if I know, first of all, I pay people what they're worth. So people don't leave. My other company, Dynamico, we create compensation systems that pay people their worth. So I know people who work for me aren't leaving because of compensation. But if they've got Wonderlust and what wonders what out there, are they really invested in what we're doing here? Probably not the ideal employee if they're wondering what's out there. So I'm constantly helping people who work for me explore other options because it does one of two things. If they've already got Wonderlust and want to leave, well, great. I'm going to get somebody who wants to work here. No hard feelings. Good luck. And I'll help you and facilitate the, the transition, et cetera. But if you go and explore elsewhere and realize how great it is here, you're reinvested and you're the person I wanted in the first place. So I it routinely help people explore other options and it's not about pushing them out. It's about making them reinvest into the organization. And why get, and I've seen that in my contemporaries where they get mad somebody resigns. Why? It's, maybe it's a spouse, a significant other kid. They can't afford their home. They want a different home. There are a million reasons people want to change jobs. If it's something that you did, well, don't be hating on them. Fix what you did. And next time it won't happen. But if, if it's just a personal thing they're going through and they want to change job, why get mad at that? It baffles me. I'm here to support those who work with me. And if it's about helping them find better employment because of a significant other got a job post or job move or whatever, whatever reason it is, I'm here to help. And if they actually stay, think about the goodwill I've created and the reinvested employee I've helped situate in that position for the long term. That's what yeah, it's I love about. That. Yeah, I love that, Dan. As we start to wrap up, we've got episode 20 was our previous conversation. Uh, Dan recapped leading like King Arthur, the tenant from that episode. And he went over being beyond reproach, gut leadership and action speak lab and words. Dan, it's always a pleasure and honor to be in your company. I learned so much when we go through this and it reinvigorates my own leadership as well, hearing you talk for your tenants. So where is the best place to people buy the book? And where is the best place people can reach out to you if they're interested in some type of leadership training? The book is on Amazon, The Power of Me Leadership, Nine Leadership Tenets for Every Leader. And again, you don't have to be Dan to lead to be beyond reproach. And what how you do it, Simon, is going to look different than how, how I do it. Because we all have, we're different people, different age, we have different upbringing, all that goes into making us individuals. That's what the book is about. So it's available on Amazon. And if people want to get in contact with me, Dan at leadingbuffalo.com, Dan at leadingbuffalo.com. And I'm offering your listeners, they mentioned this podcast and Simon, 
you I do organizational training. I could come in and train your leadership team in a half day or full day workshop. And we could come in, I could do a keynote if you got an organization and I will knock 10% off my fees if you mention Simon's podcast. So feel free to reach out, Dan at leadingbuffalo.com. I'm here to serve. And if I can help you grow your leadership, love to do it. Thank you for listening to the Church Security Made Simple podcast. If you're looking for training on how to keep you and your church community safe, or if you're interested in working with me on my five-week group coaching program, please head over to worshipsecurity.org. And if you've enjoyed this podcast episode, don't forget to rate and review wherever you are listening. Now, I'll be back with you on the next episode, but until then, stay safe, have a blessed day, and remember, always plan, prepare, and protect your ministry. Thank you.